0: this is uh, really excited for this episode because we've been trying to sync this up for a while so thank you so much for being patient and and coming to London to to get this recorded the reason why I'm really excited about this episode is what you're doing I personally find fascinating I think that in hopefully just a few years but maybe slightly longer what you're doing which we're going to talk to about today is obviously going to become super normal and it'll become quite normal to have a conversation about it but at the moment when I've been telling people who you are and what we're going to be talking about today i have got a few confused looks when i tell them that we're um, that you'll be building a menstrual cycle um, menstrual blood bank so yeah i'm really excited for you to obviously explain what that is and why that's necessary but before we get into that um carly tell us a little bit about yourself your backstory and how you've got to where you are today
1: Leo, thank you so much for having me on. It's so nice to meet you in person, finally. I know we uh, talk a lot online and you're right, we've been trying (laughs) for a while to get the sync up. So I'm really excited to be here. Um, So I grew up in South Africa. I studied at um, the University of Pretoria in South Africa and I wanted to become a doctor, but I kept fainting at the sight of blood. So I pivoted into business economics, um, which I enjoyed and I loved. But at uni, I fell ill and I had to go for routine blood tests. And I, uh, one day I went to the nurse and I said, well, I'm on my period. Can't you just take my period blood? Because I don't want another needle on my arm. It makes me really squeamish and faintish. And she laughed it off and said, that's disgusting and gross, don't be daft. And that was something that stayed with me forever. And I um, fast forward to when I felt pregnant, I wanted to continue sleeping on my stomach. My osteopath hates this, but I love sleeping on my stomach. And um, I couldn't find a pillow that allowed that um, comfortably at home. And I started digging into it because I thought it wasn't safe. But I found all of this incredible research that showed it's not only safe, but it's beneficial as well. It relieves pain, um, improves placenta and blood flow to the baby, creates more space for the baby to move into the optimal fetal position. And I created a pillow and launched research with the University of Manchester to dive deeper into the benefits of sleeping on your stomach. But that journey really gave me such an incredible insight in what we know now as the gender health gap and understanding that how women have been excluded from research, but then also in designing my own clinical trial and designing my own research project, how the policies that underpin it also deliberately excludes women. And I was like, what is this? This needs further exploration. and then towards the beginning of last year, a friend on a mutual WhatsApp group said she's due for clinic her smear test through the NHS. And I said, I absolutely hate smear tests. I've never heard of anyone who is particularly excited to go for a smear test. Actually, a lot of women talk about how horrific it is. I mean, there's campaigns to promote and push women to go for their smear tests. Um, I just don't understand why they can't use our menstrual blood, or periods. Uh, it flows through the cervix, out the vaginal canal. Surely the cells are in our menstrual blood. And from there, we started doing loads of research. We found this American research. has been ongoing for eight years. And they have um, created a pad that now collects your menstrual blood and can be used to replace the smear test. And... I was like, this is it. But how can we use menstrual blood and accelerate research? Because, and you talk about this all the time on your podcast, how women have been deliberately excluded. We haven't been involved in any research for the last 450 years. And how can I create a vehicle to empower researchers and businesses and make studying the female physiology more accessible because we need more research, we need more data, and that's how I came up with the period biobank. And if you think about it, we bank urine, spit, blood, even sperm, but we don't bank periods. So we are opening Europe's first period biobank in Manchester next year.
0: That's such a cool story. <laughs> I find it really exciting, I didn't actually know the first part of that. I find it really interesting how sometimes something that for this the woman that the nurse that was taking your blood she probably doesn't remember that it was probably such a insignificant passing comment all those years ago but for you that triggered the start of well why why not exactly. and now here you are all the, all these years later so that that's super cool
1: exactly if you th- and that was 15 years ago so little did i know that women have only been included into, allowed allowed to be included into clinical trials for 15 years at that time. And now we're 30 years on from there, so yeah.
0: Yeah, crazy. When you say Europe's first menstrual cycle blood bank, is that the company you mentioned a moment ago in America or what kind of is out there at the moment?
1: No, no, so there are three banks that collect menstrual blood across the world. Um, One is actually a study. It's linked to a research institution called the Rose Study. Um, They are doing research into endometriosis and providing a menstrual blood sample is optional. Maybe it's changed. Um, But last time I checked, it was optional to provide a menstrual blood sample. um, And they banked those. Then there is a bank in um, in India, they do research into applying stem cells as treatment, which I know you are very interested in as well, but they are doing research into stem cell extraction from menstrual blood and using that for treatment options. And then the final one is in Iran, of all places, um, and they are looking to preserve fertility or stop menopause or what. Ever <laughs> that means, which is very interesting and interesting place to have a menstrual blood bank.
0: Yeah, ironic that Iran is a little bit further ahead than us I in that.
1: I know it's crazy, isn't
0: it? Something you said uh, a moment ago, which I also loved when you first said it to me, because it really puts into perspective how this isn't a weird conversation. And that when I'm saying to, like I've said to a few people, yeah, you know, this is what we're coming on about. This is what um, Carly's building. They're like, oh, like, yeah, bit odd. But what you said there was obviously, yeah, it's normal for us to, you know, collect and um, do research on and test blood, urine, sperm, etc. cetera. Um, so actually it's perfectly also normal to be doing the same for menstrual cycle blood.
1: Why wouldn't we do that? We do it for all of these different body fluids but menstrual menstruation has been seen as like a hygienic issue like it's waste Um, a big taboo a big stigma hide your period hide hide the fact that you're on your period I mean we see these memes of girls in white jeans and it's like this is how a girl tells you she's not on her period you know like it's something we're supposed to hide but Um, actually period blood has over 800 unique proteins that's not found in our systemic blood and it can tell us a lot about our female physiology. It contains biomarkers that can diagnose uterine conditions like endometriosis, PCOS, fibroids. It takes over eight years to diagnose and then we don't even talk about all the cancerous biomarkers that, that could potentially show ovarian cancer, for example, um, and, and female and uterine cancers have some of the worst mortality rates in the world, like less than 37%. So, yeah, a lot of exciting innovation that can happen, but we cannot do it single-handedly. We have to collaborate. We have to work together um, and truly to truly accelerate and close the data gap, close the gender health gap.
0: I think you've kind of alluded to it already around why this hasn't been done before, maybe because periods were viewed as a sanitary issue. Mm -hmm. Obviously, women were excluded from research. So, of course, that's going to play a role. But, yeah, why is there anything else other than those reasons as to why this hasn't been done before? Like, why are we only just starting to look at periods now?
1: Well, there was really interesting research that was done that showed that it was gender-biased and that it comes down to that, you know, women haven't been researched on we haven't been included in the clinical trials and all the research for over 450 years so men don't have periods so why would we even think of using it yes um it's only from including women that we now truly understand that women aren't just smaller men we are almost a species in our own right. You know, we have hormones, we have cycles. These hormones and our cycles um, drive a lot of what we do, how, what we experience. Um, and to keep a diary of your cycle, not just when you're on your period so that you can go on holiday or not go on holiday, like truly keep a small diary of just how you feel every day, one minute. Could, make, could create such empowering insights into what's normal for you. Um, and it, uh, the main reason for research not being done, for menstrual blood not being looked at, is just gender bias and the fact that women haven't been included in any research.
0: Well, yeah, I love that that tide seems to be changing a little bit with people like yourself obviously pushing it. So that's incredibly exciting, especially, I mean, for so many reasons. But one that jumped out a moment ago I'd love to learn a little bit more about is the endometriosis diagnosis mm. potentially from from um, yeah, from yeah menstrual cycle blood. So tell me a little bit more about that, if that's OK. What yes. research is being done there?
1: Well, there's been very interesting um Research to show that we could potentially find these biomarkers for these uterine conditions in our menstrual blood. Um, And a doctor actually spoke to me just this week and said we need to be sure that when we talk about menstrual blood we mean menstrual blood in its entirety because menstrual blood consists of systemic blood it consists of vaginal discharge and then it contains the uterine lining which is where all the power is essentially so um well not all of it all of it has really interesting data but it that's what can show us and give us so much insight into um, these uterine conditions. And if we can do research on that and establish what those biomarkers are exactly, we can reverse engineer it and even find those biomarkers in our systemic blood. Because I think part of the issue is that male, the male physiology has been seen as the default, but actually, so we're using that as our bi- baseline, but we then don't know what to look for because men don't have periods, men don't get endometriosis, so that's so interesting. We, we can reverse it engineer it. Yes, exactly. Wow. And then still use systemic blood, but that's a great way of of doing it. For example,
0: fascinating. Yeah. Something that um, Bridget was talking about as well, I believe, was that obviously blood values are also based on, of course, gender um, and also race so now but even within different parts of the country so one area's reference ranges might be different to another area but if that area or somewhere that's predominantly been white and then obviously over however many years of course that changes a little bit across england which is amazing someone moves to this area from a different country different ethnic background then their blood values aren't necessarily going to be relevant to the reference ranges so yeah there's so much individuality there isn't there that can really change if we get a diagnosis or what we're looking at
1: Absolutely, and like from my from my point of view, um, I mean, I'm I'm white, but I actually don't like marking that on a form because I am African. I am from South Africa. My diet is an African diet. I cook South African food at home. I don't cook British food or European food at home. So even that could have an enormous impact on how the data presents in in our blood and in our menstrual blood. Very interesting. So interesting. Yeah, Fascinating. so interesting. And this is why it is so important that we make collection of menstrual blood from home possible because the and that's what this research on the pillow showed me is that if we limit it to the area where the bank is then we deliberately exclude so many women Um, and donation from home is absolutely crucial and enabling that so that everyone can be involved and everyone have access there's also things like religion um beliefs um that could and cultural beliefs that could impact whether a woman would even travel to a bank like that so by enabling at home collection we can include women women can feel safe and empowered by feeling that they are contributing to closing the gender health gap
0: yeah let's unpack that a little bit more then because Obviously, when we first did a call and you were telling me about, I'll I'll let you obviously tell the story because you'll tell it much better, but you were telling me about the research with Alzheimer's and stem cells. I was like, well, that's amazing. Why was that not scaled out? And you were like, well, just reliable collection. So I guess two kind of questions here that I'd absolutely love to hear more of your thoughts on, obviously that study and that area of, of research. And then obviously, as yes, you've already just kind of touched on the fact that um, needing a home kit is necessary to obviously do this at scale and subsequently what you're doing as a company.
1: Yeah, like, because inclusion of everyone is one of my core values, like accessibility and inclusion, a hundred percent. So the Alzheimer's, basically there was research done that found the same quality stem cells in our menstrual blood that's in our bone marrow. And bone marrow is extremely difficult and very invasive, very expensive to extract stem cells from there. So um, this research study showed that these stem cells could be used to cure Alzheimer's and they had great success. But that study ended because they couldn't um, collect at scale. And truly run that clinical trial to a point where they could develop that treatment and make it available on the market. So, um, so by making it more accessible, we can create, we can collect even those stem cells and allow women to one day bank their stem cells and use it for future applications when they get Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, leukemia. Um, yeah, you know, it's very very exciting wow. research to be done, and by doing that, you have a, um, your likelihood of not ex- of your body rejecting those stem cells are also v- minimized completely, and any members of your family. So it's really really interesting. Wow! And if you look at Alzheimer's specifically, seventy percent of of Alzheimer diagnosis happens in women. And there was more research into neuroscience that um, in Stanford that even showed that it's because of our hormones, our hormones fluctuation during our menstrual cycle, our brain literally changes, it expands, and um, yeah, it would be very interesting to see if there's a correlation between hormone imbalances and then Alzheimer's, for example.
0: Yeah. I've seen a few articles on that recently looking at whether you've had a natural menstrual cycle or whether you've been on hormonal birth control for a, a you know, a majority of time and how you go through menopause and when and the subsequent effects of potentially developing diseases like Alzheimer's in later life. Just crazy, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it's absolutely crazy. And if you look at Alzheimer's medication specifically, although seventy percent of alzheimer's cases are female, the medication that's prescribed hasn't been tested on women. Not at all? No. It's, it's mind-blowing, but we're still being prescribed these medications and we just don't even know if it works or if the dosage is correct. It's crazy, absolutely crazy.
0: Yeah, I said this last week with um, uh, yeah, Dr. Claire Fernandez. We were talking about how women are more... Um, you know experience more likely to experience autoimmune disease and cardiovascular disease and I said Alzheimer's as well and she was like yeah not sure about that we need to double check that one but yeah, I thought women were more likely to experience that as well but in all of those areas well in, in Alzheimer's not at all, which is, is crazy I think in cardiovascular disease only 34 percent of the research was included included women and I don't remember the percentage for autoimmune, but it was also, not that much
1: <laughs> well there's research onto the disease but then there is the clinical trials that the treatment and the drugs yep. are performed at on and the, so the research could include women but then the drug trials don't include women or the women that's included is minority or they are put on birth control to ignore their hormone health which isn't to me, including women in research, you might as well just not have done it, essentially. Yeah, because you you're know.
0: changing that hormonal profile to become a consistent when it's not in a normal cycling woman.
1: Exactly, exactly, which is what happened to the um, the drug that got FDA approval for, that could be subscri- prescribed, I can't say that word, <laughs> prescribed to women, um, suffering from postnatal depression, if you look at that clinical trial and the preconditions, you can only take it for 40 days. Uh, you can't drive while you take it, because it makes you so ill. Um, and one of the main, th- main two things, which was red flags to me, was you have to stop breastfeeding. So now I have to choose between feeding my baby breast milk and looking after my mental health, and beyond birth control hormonal birth control so ignoring the hormonal cycle in its entirety and so early on after giving birth yeah it's absolutely crazy
0: i mean as someone that will never experience postnatal depression i appreciate i'm not entitled to an opinion on it but to me that doesn't sound like a great deal
1: no no absolutely i don't feel like that what's really designed with women in mind you know who are supposed to take the drug i appreciate like it's it's a horrible disease, women die from it on a daily basis, um, and that's awful, but the, I feel like this, oh, what happens after 40 days of taking it? Where do you go from there, for example? Um, and with this uh, drug that I just spoke about, one of the side effects was testicle pain, but they didn't disclose how many men was involved in the drug, tri- in the drug trials, in order to get it approved so
0: hey it's leo here just very quickly interrupting this podcast episode to share with you a really exciting announcement the nexus team are now available to take on new one-on-one online nutrition clients so if you're interested in working with myself or anyone on the team for your nutrition health or body composition based goals then follow the link in the show notes and you can see all of the information on what that might look like to work with us i think if you're I mean, because I'm listening to this and like every episode when we talk about this stuff, it feels a little bit frustrating and, you know, saddening. I think I can only imagine that if you're a woman listening to this, especially if you have had your own um, medical or health based story, which of course most women have, that it can all sound a little bit doom and gloom. So let's maybe try and talk about some, go back to some positive stuff like coming up. Like, what does the next few years look like? in the research field because I know there's lots of amazing things happening that we can potentially get a little bit more excited and and feel a little bit more uh, happy and optimistic about?
1: Well with opening the bank it won't just be the only bank we're hoping we can open multiple banks across Europe Um, and my dream is to open a bank in South Africa or in in Africa that'd be absolutely incredible Um, So we're opening the first one next year, as I've mentioned already, and we have research into endometriosis, research into PCOS, research into nutrition, fitness, um, even period products um, that signed up to do testing of the period products and the absorbency using actual menstrual blood because that's another thing that hasn't been done um, at all. and then also different cancers. Um, I've already mentioned the different um, mortality, the horrible mor- mortality rate in, in female cancer. And if we can get to a point where those cancers can be detected as early as cervical cancer can be detected through a smear test, then hopefully we can do something about it and, and increase that mortality rate
0: that is exciting
1: yeah very exciting
0: again this is something that i fully appreciate i'm not really entitled to an opinion on because i'm not a woman but i can't help but overall feel more excitement and optimistic about where we're at versus kind of pessimistic because i do feel like there has been a massive shift
1: the last couple of years enormous you women are talking more openly about it um and the more we do it the better um But women are talking more openly about it to their colleagues, to their husbands, to their boyfriends, to their friends. Um, I mean, all my friends know what I do, male and female. (laughs) Um, And even on LinkedIn or when I talk on stage, I have a queue of people lining up and it's not just women. Everyone has a story to tell. Everyone has a, a sister, a mother. Everyone has a mother. Everyone has a sister. Um, a wife, a friend who has a story to tell. So just the fact that I think especially men come up to me and tell me about their friends, family members who had experiences with their cycles, um tells me that they are openly talking about it and it's incredible to see and it's incredible to be part of that movement as well to break down that stigma to break down that bias educate on that period blood isn't dirty it isn't wasteful you're actually flushing away which is something that personally frustrates me (laughs) but you're flushing away a whole cup of information and data that can revolutionise the healthcare industry. That's really exciting that we get to this point where we can set up a bank like this, where we can accelerate women's health in this in a way that's never been done before, you know, and, and start breaking down the barriers that excludes women so deliberately from research, making it more accessible, not just to researchers, but to businesses that's developing products, to pharmaceuticals that's developing drugs and treatments. I mean, it's you know, it's very exciting. And then when we start, one of the research st- studies we want to do is... Obviously, regulatory and ethnic approval um, needs to be done on this. But if we could take girls that's from puberty age and start monitoring the cells in their menstrual blood, the symptoms they experience, how do they then experience fertility? How do they experience perimenopause, even pregnancy, perimenopause, menopause? Is there a correlation between having a painful or unpleasant period to how you move through those different phases as a woman be absolutely fascinating research to do and then we don't even talk about diet nutrition exercise how does these things in our affect the cells in our bodies uh, and how can we become better versions healthier versions of ourselves to then break down those statistics into neuro- neurological, neuroscientific conditions such as Alzheimer's.
0: Yeah, that is exciting. I yeah. really hope we get to collaborate on a research project at we some will. point in the some <laughs> point in the future. Yeah, that's amazing. Something you said a second ago. Just make sure I heard that correctly. Because so I think I actually have heard this from someone else as well. But did you say that um, period products don't? Yeah.
1: So. Uh, Last year, there was a research study done, I think, in Canada. If it was America, they're going to shoot me now. (laughs) That's Uh,
0: interchangeable. They won't mind.
1: (laughs) I'm not sure they will agree. (laughs) But um, I think it was in Canada where they took 20 different period products, different brands within different categories of cups, pads, and tampons. And they used not even menstrual blood. They used... um, expired blood, human blood, to test the absorbency of these different products. And they all, even within the category, they all had different absorbency. So even each tampon absorbed that blood differently or not at all because period products is seen as our hygienic products so it's been tasted with water or saline or whatever but period blood consists of blood vaginal discharge and this uterine lining which is what you would see as like the clotting and not all of those products will absorb those things but what is shocking even about that is that if you go to the doctor today and you say, I think I suffer from heavy menstrual bleeding or you have a low iron defi- or you have an iron deficiency, they look at how many tampons you bleed through in a day. But if you have three different brands, that's absorbency is all different, then you would appear differently on that scale. So it would say, for example, six tampons a day means you're a heavy bleeder, but you might use a tampon that isn't very good at absorbing menstrual blood or is very good, so you just have two two tampons a day, So yes, it's a example.
0: completely invalid test.
1: Completely invalid matrix used to diagnose w- whether women are heavy menstrual bleeders or not. Wow. Yeah, and I mean, this is just an example of why it's so important that we get our period products tested with real menstrual blood. Um, it's not a hygienic product. It's a woman's health product. Same with, um, I think I posted about it this week or last week about how um, tampons that's found in supermarkets is made of synthetic materials that could be the reason for different cancers. Mm. Causes of that. different in, um, endocrine diseases, that is scary. That's really, sorry, we're going back to the gloom.
0: No, I think that's really important. Gloom and
1: groom thing, but it's it's really important, and I know that period poverty is a real thing, but it is so important to look at what you're putting into your body um, and you know, make a conscious decision about what you use.
0: I think to really because like I can't I almost can't get my head around that like name me another product which isn't tested in the conditions that it's actually used in
1: I can't think of a single one can you
0: I'm like really trying <laughs> so I mean maybe there are right but that's literally not the point of developing a product to not recreate the conditions and when said conditions can have a knock-on consequence to medical diagnoses such as heavy menstrual bleeding and subsequently whether you're then referred out to get tested for anemia or just told, no, you're fine, and potentially, yeah, causing cervical-based cancers. It's crazy that they wouldn't be tested in the environment that they're used.
1: Exactly. And if you look at, like, the FDA guidelines, they have guidelines on condoms, what makes condoms safe to use, uh what materials should be included in those condoms they don't have that for tampons for example because it's seen as a hygienic product
0: so with the current evidence and products that we have out there do you have any thoughts on best practices best recommendations or would you say it's too early on in the research for you to want to say this might be safer or work more effectively than something else
1: it's not for me i i can't really comment on what I would recommend or what to use. It. What I would say is do your own research, which I know is the worst thing, worst advice anyone can give you, especially when you have ten thousand other things going on. But really look into the brand, into their values. What do they stand for? What certifications do they have? Do they go above and beyond? Um, I know day. Uses um, organic, and they don't bleach. They say they tampon, so that's maybe a good option. And there's another Riley, I think, is another good brand that advocates for safe product use of period product use. So really, look into um, brands that echo those values, and and look at the back of the packet and look what it's made of. You know, is it organic cotton? is there anything in there that you can't pronounce for example um that's the best advice i really can give at this stage but i don't think there's been enough well it's definitely not been enough research done into toxicity of tampons or pads Um, and if you get irritation or rash using anything then stop using it that's like a pretty good sign um that your body is probably there's probably something in there that's not working for you
0: yeah that's really great advice um yeah they are doing they are doing some cool things yeah. I, I know
1: yeah ha- don't you have day your buddy box yeah, actually they, sorry i forgot yeah
0: no no that's all right about
1: that for a second yeah they yeah. are
0: doing some cool work so
1: yeah definitely
0: um what would you say for any woman listening that's going okay there's clearly a, a lot going on here there's a lag time before the research is more conclusive on certain things but I want to try and take my health into my own hands as much as possible stay curious kind of be my own scientist what advice would you give to that woman?
1: Track everything (laughs) but you can really start small and you don't need to use an app I know there's a lot of um, concern around data sharing, although we need data in order to build a healthcare system that works for the female um, physiology and I think that's really important to to say as well and educate women on how data is being used um, but even if it's a diary that you keep on your kitchen ta- counter with a pen and every day you just make one note and maybe you don't capture the good days maybe you just capture the bad days and Maybe it's good to be in a rush and say, I just feel shit or I feel like I can't think today or I have pain, you know, just track it every single day, take a minute and just write down one thing that you feel today. And if it's nothing, if you feel absolutely fine, then that's also something to take note of. And by doing that, you would start to learn your own normal. But then if you experience migraines, for example, or period or pain before your period, or you get flu suddenly two days before every period, then that's information, that's data that you can take to your GP, to your doctor, to a specialist to say, look, it's every time during this time of my cycle that I am experiencing these symptoms and they can take further steps there's hormone tests already on the market um, and there is different hormone supplements that um, helps you balance your, your hormones I mean even that would be so useful to work with someone like you like a PT to have that diary and say that these are the days that I feel good and these are the days that I'm less good Um and this is really important because I've been tracking my cycle for almost like 10 years I don't even know how long but for a very very long time for different reasons not for this reason I never ever thought to track it <laughs> for my own health reasons when I was younger it was to know when I'll be on my period so that I know if I can go swim on the farm this weekend <laughs> you know sort of a thing but Um, By doing that, I really got a view of what's normal for me. And so when I went and got the coil, for example, it threw everything out of sync. And I quickly realized that it's not the right contraception for me. It's not the right option for me. So by doing that, you quickly then realize also what's your normal. Where do you need to spend time and effort to really optimize your health? So, yeah, that's my number. That's the one thing every woman should be doing. And you can even like chat about it around the dinner table. You know, it doesn't need to be a secret diary, like a journal with like a lock on (laughs) it (laughs) or anything. No, so yeah really great
0: advice that is the most consistent answer across all of the episodes really? so yeah i think it's a really great answer for anyone that has got any privacy data sharing concerns that's exactly what me and dr michelle griffin spoke about two episodes ago which will be out roughly when yeah we'll be out by the time this one's been out so you can go back and listen to to that one for anyone that's got yeah more questions a- around menstrual cycle tracking and kind of the data uh, sharing side of things um yeah no really really great advice i think was it flow or clue that just released their like partner sharing setting that that. was cool i think it was clue wasn't it
1: i know you can do that through natural cycles okay cool i didn't know i didn't see that announcement yeah
0: it was like a week or week or so ago i think that's cool cool because you know everyone might not want to do that and of course that's absolutely fine but i just think it's a really great step to normalizing including men in the conversation
1: exactly like that is so useful just to as you say break down that taboo break down that stigma start chatting and um if you are not feeling comfortable to talk to just everyone about your period start small just chat to your friend which i think most women are talking to their their female friends about their cycle um but Just start talking and talk to one person, your husband. Or, I mean, when I told my dad about the biobank, it was one of the most stressful conversations. Just because he he is very conservative, and we I didn't we didn't talk about or I didn't talk about my menstrual cycle openly at home because it was hidden away. It was a taboo. Blah 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 blah. Um, But now it's just normal. You know, we just talk about it. He's asking me about it. I'm talking to him about interesting research we find or interesting thing I read. And that's how it starts. It starts by just starting and then building up confidence. Um, to And I, as I've said already, I openly talk to my friends about menstrual blood, the menstrual health and the differences in the male and the female physiology um, so yeah I'll just start the conversation start small build up your confidence and one day maybe you'll go into a costa and ask the barista if you can use the toilet to change your tampon and he won't drop his cup of coffee which is what happened to me so,
0: was it yeah when was that recently
1: <laughs> no, uh, about yes yeah, about a year ago a year ago yes Mm. where I didn't want to buy a coffee and I just wanted to use the bathroom to change my tambourine and I thought well I'm going to do this experiment I'm going to see if you know we've moved on if how much change are we driving so but it it was maybe a little bit unfair to him
0: (laughs) yeah I think most men aren't trying to be bad people there's Mm -mm. just an adoption curve on anything right and when something's not normalized and you don't speak about it you don't know what you don't know right so how can you have a conversation about something that you've never even comprehended having a conversation about I mean there's things that you've said today in this episode that I was like I wouldn't have even comprehended that that was a problem or could be a possible solution moving forward you know for example a a smear test or an endometriosis diagnosis so
1: no, and I think, like, okay, I've said that, but now what if his girlfriend or his sister starts talking to him about it? More customers come in that ask the same question, and I promise you, in a month's time, it won't be a thing. It won't be an issue. It, he won't drop a cup of coffee, for example, you know? Yeah. And that's what I mean with just start and build up your confidence to talk about these things more openly. And really, you're just doing a service to everyone around you. You know, if you're not having a good day because you're in a certain period of your cycle, I mean, that's useful for you as a PT, but it's also useful for people at home, you know, to know that you're just having a bad day and that's okay, you know.
0: Yeah, all my clients talk to me about their cycle super openly very
1: approachable Leo yeah. that's why thank you
0: <laughs> yeah I, uh, I've d- I think you could say that but also to, to not give myself the benefit of the doubt you could also say that I would probably never sign up a female client that isn't already prepared to do so because no one's looking at my content and going yes I want to work with this guy without Absolutely. knowing what's coming if that makes sense but
1: it's because you're talking about it yes Exactly, exactly. So it's making it more approachable, Mm -hmm. more open, more comfortable, more like safe in a way.
0: Yeah, Yeah. I do also have some awesome clients though. So I think there's it takes two people to want to have that conversation, right? You have to have a certain level of open-mindedness and of course the other person has to create a safe space. But yeah, I mean, it's super useful um, because I think that the stereotypical PT, right, is obviously kind of like the the military, like go, 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 go. And there's a time and a place for that, for a certain person, a certain personality type, a certain goal but also a certain point in your cycle (laughs) so it allows me to go okay what type of session do we need here is this just the like let's get something done you're going to feel better about coming in and that's going to have some mental and some physical benefits or if we take the session too easy you're actually going to be a bit annoyed question the value for money feel like you've left sunk on the table do you want to train really hard right Um, which is always a conversation you should have with any client male or female it's not just that's not just a female conversation but with men it's that's just kind of comes down to like how you feel on the day whereas obviously women have these fluctuations across the month which also might influence what type of session what type of workout they want and and they need so it is important information
1: yeah definitely very very important and you're you're just empowering not just yourself but everyone around you You're empowering your doctor you're empowering your Nutritionist, your husband, your kids, everyone around you—you know—so yeah, it's good. Start Love tracking. That.
0: Perfect. <laughs> um, tell us a little bit more about your plans over the next kind of short term, six to twelve months. Where is the business going, and then also a little bit longer term vision. Like, what is the ideal healthcare research situation that you see for women in five, ten years, whatever time frame you want to answer over.
1: So right now we're developing our kit that will enable women to send us their periods from the comfort of their own home. This is really, really important. It's vital for us to do that. Um, And then that will enable us to launch the bank and take on researchers and businesses who want to use these samples and the data that it underpins in order to do research. And hopefully not in five years, sooner, <laughs> we'll be able to um, then find cause and find diagnosis for at least, I hope, endometriosis, PCOS, um, fibroids and different cancers. That'd be incredible. Because once we have cause, once we have diagnosis, then we can develop treatments to treat you know, those conditions that is yeah impacting a lot of women and also like we hope to get to a point where once we have cause once we have diagnosis we can create treatment that will serve so many women that are suffering on a daily basis who can't work at their optimal who can't look after their families um who are in constant pain you know like um and just support those women more. And I hope through that as well, we can feed back, you know, and tell women like, you've contributed to this incredible research. You've driven the, 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 the difference that's needed in, in healthcare in its entirety. And um, stem cells can be used for male or female, but imagine we find patterns in female health, that opens other diagnoses and causes in male owls, you know, because we have that baseline, we can track the differences then, that'd be incredible. So yes, I hope in five years, less than five years, we'll get to a point where we can at least diagnose those um, three main conditions and, and cancerous conditions and replace the smear entirely, like it shouldn't even be a thing anymore that's what I hope
0: I love that that's a really really impactful life-changing set of (laughs) set of business goals for the next few years isn't it so I can't wait to see that unfold the idea that you mentioned earlier that well not the idea what will happen in the not too distant future that women will be donating their, their menstrual cycle blood every month and they'll also potentially be saving some of those stem cells for themselves or their family at a later date, that for me is incredibly exciting. My granddad had really bad Alzheimer's, lasted 10 years um, before it took him. And it does just, it, it ruins the entire family, right? Um, and I'm not gonna pretend to know the ins and outs, but due to the value of their home, there was like no state care. Cause they were like, well, you've got this amount of money. they're like, well, we don't have this amount of money. The house is worth this amount of money. That's two very different things. So we are like all chipping in to pay for my granddad's care home, which obviously is like ridiculously expensive. So. It, it, yeah, it, it does just absolutely alter an entire family's life for like 10 years. So the idea that there could be something that would help with that inside what you're doing is obviously yeah, incredibly exciting. And
1: yeah, because it's not just life changing for that person, as you say, it's everyone around them. Um, you know, I have a similar, my grandfather 17 years of Parkinson's and my grandmother six years of Alzheimer's, so... Yeah, I I sympathise with you and what you went through and your family went through because yeah, it is a it's horrible diseases and it's awful to see loved ones go through that, and okay. um, it's very exciting to be able to set up a bank like this and drive research into that area and and eventually treatment where those cells can be applied successfully and yeah, it's very exciting. I'm very excited. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love that. How can people help? I know you've got a wait list to obviously stay in touch with you. But for anyone listening that thinks this is definitely a mission, I want to help push forward. What can people do?
1: So the first thing is, yes, on our website, yoni.health, we have a wait list. If you think you want to participate, even if you're not 100% sure, sign up. Um, let's stay in touch and... Um, and you'll be able to stay up to date. And we're currently developing this kit. And then um, anyone who wants to do research—if you are a medical student or you're thinking to do your PhD, but you're not sure what to do—it then do this. <laughs> you know, like we really need more people to realize the potential of period blood and realize how. It's an abundant source of bioinformation and data that can revolutionize the healthcare system. There's just to put it in perspective, there's less than 400 studies done on menstrual blood, over 15,000 in sperm. So the more research we have, the more data we collect, the more scientific evidence we build up. Um, and it's a very exciting, very exciting field, yes.
0: For any younger women that are still maybe deciding on their career path and they're considering, okay, maybe there's something here that I would like to explore as a career option. What would you say to that woman? Because obviously women are underrepresented in STEM roles. I believe they make up 13%. So yeah, what would you say to that, that younger listener?
1: I would say to her that do your research, write down your values. What is it that you wanna see the change of in the world? and go for it, like get on LinkedIn. There's so many incredible people on LinkedIn. Connect with me. I have, um, I've built up a lot of incredible contacts that could help you, that I could introduce you to, but just go for it. Like, don't let anyone tell you that you can't do it. Write down your values, write down the change you wanna see in the world, figure out what's your passion and just go for it a thousand percent
0: yeah that's great advice <laughs> i think almost the like that advice is so incredible but it, it almost isn't relevant until you understand that there's a problem that could be solved so because there are no conversations happening in this space so many women are growing up thinking that a hormonal birth control regulates their you know and i'm using that in inverted commas for anyone to understand regulates their their hormones they think period pain is is normal if that is the information that you're receiving then you don't understand that there's even a problem here that can be solved and if you don't know that there's a problem to be solved because these things aren't normal or not true or not correct how could you possibly want to make a career out of solving them that's not even on the table right so which is why i love the work that you're doing and so many people are doing because by putting this information out there people are going okay what is this gender health gap what is this gender research gap okay when you start looking and go, okay there's something here that's when you start to understand that you could potentially make a career out of solving that
1: I think also always ask yourself or what I do is would my would my partner do this would he think it's normal to have pain in his testicles he would absolutely not he would be on fire rushing to the A&E <laughs> and period pain for example is not normal so always ask like would your partner for example think that this is normal is pain normal no it's not you know um, there's so much to uncover in this field we need more people who find their passion in this field and who can help us work together to truly accelerate and close the gender health gap fast we need to do it fast there was research recently conducted that showed it will take over 350 years to close the gender health gap. Oh, well, I'm not going to live for 350 years. And i by no means think that it will be closed by the time I die. But I want to at least contribute to that. I want to be part of that movement in understanding the differences between the male and the female physiology start seeing the change in the healthcare system where we honor and respect both of those physiologies on an equal level
0: i love that i think if men had pain in their testicles every month it would be the most researched medical condition that there was
1: a thousand percent a thousand percent and this is why we need more researchers we need more women advocating for themselves we need more, um, track your cycle, get empowered about how you're feeling on a daily basis, understand your normal, and talk to your friends and your family and your colleagues about it. You know, I get onto my meetings and I say, I feel a bit rough because I'm in my lethal phase and everyone laughs, but that is suddenly opening up a conversation that is suddenly making that other person think, oh, what does she mean? What is this? you know so yeah just start talking about it and yeah let me know if i can help
0: if you've enjoyed today's episode it would be amazing if you could do us a massive favor and leave us a review and even if possible a comment the reason why this is so useful for us is it allows us to know which type of content and which guests are best going to be relevant for you and your goals so that we can continue to make the podcast even better for you in the future thank you so much so far for all of your support on the women's wellness show